G'day and welcome to the third episode of the Baffle Days podcast. I'm your host, Tom O'Halloran. Super quick one before we launch into today's ep. I recently sat down and chatted on the Training Beta podcast. It's live, so if you want to hear me answer the questions, not ask them, head over and listen in. I talk about climbing and how Amanda and I fit in our climbing life around working, being parents and other little pieces that make our life feel full and happy. Today on Baffle Days, I talk with a proper legend of the Australian climbing scene. He's been at the top of Australian climbing for the past two decades. He has climbed and first ascented some of the hardest routes in the country, bouldered hard double digits and done some bloody good ascents on the big walls in Australia, Yosemite and Patagonia. Yes, you guessed it or read the title of the show. It's Lee Cossey. Today, Lee and I talk about his time big walling, which, in contrast to the time he has spent sport climbing and bouldering, is almost nothing. But in no time, he's compiled a world-class list of ascents, including an ascent of Riders in the Storm in Patagonia, Argentina, a 1,200-metre 36-pitch 27A2, which he and Jake Bresnahan did in 2009. In other episodes, I'll sit down and talk with Lee the sport climber, bolter, training fanatic and physio. But for now, it's Lee the big waller, who prefers to take the light, fast and no-fuss approach. Let's get into it. Lee Cossey, as probably the most prolific sport climber in Australia and climbed some of the hardest routes, first ascents of those as well, how the hell did Riders on the Storm end up on your bucket list and end up in Patagonia on the route? <laughs> I guess specifically Riders on the Storm, uh, Central Tower of Piney in Patagonia had a lot to do with Wolfgang Gulick. Yep. Uh, I'd seen pictures of him on that route, um, I don't know when, like in the late 90s sometime. And mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, that guy is... The epitome of hard sport climbing. He did the world's first 9A and he's gone out there and done that. And that looks absolutely amazing. Like, you know, that you just, I guess, what it is to be an awesome climber and a complete climber is defined by what your heroes do. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a bit of a hero of yours as you growing up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he, I guess his name was you know, the name that we all thought was like right at the very, very pointy end of hard climbing. Mm. Um, sure that definitely a lot of people came after him and and that, but yeah, absolutely, he's, he's up there. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, at the mid-90s when you started climbing properly, he, he'd obviously passed away, but he's, yeah. it was very recent. Yeah, very absolutely. Yeah, and like my first trip to Raps was in 95 and... You know, it was, um, you know, it was obviously a long time after he did punks, but you know, the the dust still hadn't really settled yeah. in a way. Like punks were still proper hard, yeah. And um, you know, it was, yeah, it was the thing to do. It's kind of only a decade, really. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty recent, really, in terms of everything. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Not yeah. at the time, I think. Gosh, that was like ancient history. Yeah. Like that was 1985 that it got done. I'm here 10 years later, <laughs> but now looking back at you know, that trip in 95, it's 24 years ago or something. It's like, oh, right, okay. Yeah, basically Wolfgang, Wolfgang and I are pretty much buddies. Yeah, you missed each other at the <laughs> campground. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, to end up going from all the sport climbing you've been doing for years to having that time in Patagonia, what was the process to get there? Was it an immediate goal once you kind of saw that route or uh, not maybe so much, a bit off no. in the clouds? At yeah, you're yeah, very much off in the clouds, literally yeah. and figuratively. Um, I think it was a gradual process in a lot of ways. So, was introduced to climbing in a really, you know, heavy trad context. So, like I had done a lot in the outdoors with my mum and dad. My dad would top rope me around the lower mountains, like, when I was kind of around about 11 and 12. And this is in the Blue Mountains. In the Blue Mountains, yep. yeah. yeah. And then um, when I was 13, my uncle took me to Arapiles, who He was a guide there at the time. And so basically he showed me everything I needed to know about placing gear, setting up anchors and managing risk 
on lead with those sort of things as well. And I think at that formative age, it just kind of, you just absorb it and you just become what you're told by someone that you look up to. And so my uncle was, you know, he was the epitome of an awesome climber. Like, you know, he not amazingly strong or anything, but like in my mind, he was, he's awesome. He guides people um, and he's there walking up these things that kind of intimidated me at the time. Mm. I, I look back to another really powerful thing that I think I got out of that trip was that I not only had him guiding me up things, but I also saw him, you know, failing on things. Like he would throw himself at some boulder problems. He, you know, tried to top rope a couple of harder routes. And it's like, okay, what it is to be an awesome climber is to actually push yourself, be vulnerable, try hard, and, you know, I guess lead by example in a way. So. Yeah, and seeing that failure is just a part of what happens and Definitely. it's actually kind of not failure. It's just yep. a process of learning. Exactly. Essentially. Yeah, you don't become an awesome climber and then transcend ever falling off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which actually fit quite well with my history, which is like, you know, quite heavily into gymnastics. And so it's like, it's constant, like falling off, work something, work something, work something. And then, you know send it or execute it perfectly mm. and um and so i guess coming back from that trip to the my home in the blue mountains um it was a very very good fit going into the sport climbing world yeah 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 and kind of progressing through those um those processes yeah is it true you wagged school to go and do samarkan with is it andy it <laughs> is very true that's yeah. a yeah what is Oh, tell us about the route, yeah, yeah. basically. Well, it's actually, it was one of, I guess in a way, like the process with failing and then subsequently succeeding on that route was like another really pretty powerful experience in that, um, well, let's start with the story. So I kind of carefully and quietly packed my climbing gear into my school bag that day, um, caught the bus to school as normal, got off the bus at school, kind of looked left and right. All right. I'm going to dash here and walked up, walked up the street, waited at the corner. Andy picked me up and, you know, we, we drove off as we would most weekends. If it wasn't Andy, it would be one of the other guys kind of up the mountains from where I lived. Um, except this time we're both kind of a little bit nervous because we were going to go try a route that was unlike anything we'd ever tried. It was a relatively recently freed old aid route originally done by Lucas Trihe, then freed by Mike Law in a, I think somewhere around about, must have been done about 97 or something like that. Um, and I was like, oh, cool. This is going to be awesome. Like we both climbed 30 odd, but, you know, we'd not done a long, steep, kind of pretty gnarly 25 trade route. Yeah. Um, we met Mike Law in the car park. He gave us a little bit of a rundown on the beta, which served really only to uh, make us more intimidated, <laughs> like, you know, telling us about this kind of death block um, just to avoid it. Don't place gear around it, you know, carefully climb outside of the chimney if you can. It's like, oh, my God, what's going on? It's terrible. We made our way to the top of the route, did what was the most harrowing abseil that I had done up until that point anyway. Um, it really is quite tame. It's like three pitches, um, a bit overhanging, but just a little bit airy. Um, got to it's the, a wrap-in route. You you come across the top of the um, the lunch ledge, lunch ledge at, at Pierce's, Pierce's Pass. Pass. Yeah, and you're at the top of essentially a 200 meter cliff. Yeah, yeah, 150, maybe somewhere around that. Yeah, yeah. and um, you don't wrap over the route. You wrap over nearby. And you sort of very short stroll over to the base of the route, and you look up at this thing, and you're like. Oh, oh, I didn't realize Chad roots were overhanging like that. <laughs> and like, it just hangs back. It's like, it's kind of, yeah, it's awesome. And it looks, it, it's good rock, but it lo- has this kind of really imposing nature to it. Um, and for whatever reason, I led the first pitch, which, you know, wasn't a bad call. <laughs> it's a 23, the following one's 25. Um, the first pitch was... You know, nice challenge, probably not dissimilar to some stuff I'd done at a wraps. And it's like, okay, this feels good. Got up to the belay and was like completely happy for Andy to have the next lead. <laughs> um, 
Um, and it, all the while, like, it always just feel, felt more intimidating just because I was kind of like, oh, I'm like wagging school. And, yeah. <laughs> what if something goes wrong and yeah. my parents find out? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and then basically Andy led up. Not too far into it, he had kind of this pretty shitty fall and we're climbing on double ropes um, and I didn't have quite the right belay device. So he's like skinny little nine mil rope, burnt my hand Ooh. badly. He He fell down below me. And we were both like, oh, gosh, this is a bit scary. Um, my hand was kind of turned to plastic as well. So, it was like, all right, I think we should bail. And so, we bailed. And it was a hard one because, you know, I know that I, I knew at that time I was very, very capable of doing that grade-wise. Like, physically could do it. But I didn't, like, I didn't have a shot at leading it, sure. But, like, I still had this intimidation that was overwhelming. And on the walk out, I specifically remember looking back up at the final pitch of that route, which had just come into the sun. It was this beautiful cracked headwall and just having this like deep kind of longing. It's like, oh, I want to be up there. Oh, I'm like, and uh, it's this like kind of frustration hit mm. me. And it actually, I guess, made me really question what was, what I had found hard about that. And yeah. it led to this process of kind of really breaking down the difference between like the emotional intimidation and what it actually takes to climb from A to B. Mm. Um, about six months later, I went back just with, with another friend and having kind of recognized the impact that the intimidation had had on me, it kind of made the whole situation like laughable. <laughs> it was like, it was just ridiculously easy. And it's like, like it wasn't any less, I guess it was less scary because I kind of knew what I was up against and mm. I was up against a piece of rock and I was climbing, yep. placing gear, measuring distances, judging risk, but just kind of, you know, chuckling to myself, had this song running around in my head and yeah, and it was this amazingly powerful like process and going from having, you know, really, really, you know, failed and felt like I'd failed on it to going, ah, oh, okay, here's the trick. Yeah. Okay, good. Awesome. Let's- and it- and that was basically just drawing on your past experience of it and going, well, what's going on? And I can now deal with this and and move forward. Yeah. Like, I, I guess at that time, you know, we in Australia, we got On The Edge magazine, which was a big British magazine. And the late 90s was a time when, um, like, the grit climbing is really quite lauded and you know, you kind of thought, oh, okay, it is it is this part of climbing to kind of have this mental struggle or mental kind of battle and to try to perform and execute climbing that you know you can do um, in a risky situation. And so, you know, without even really thinking about it, my I guess I had explored that idea and tried to turn it around for my own benefit in a way, yeah. Cool. Did you feel a similar kind of sense of... Um overwhelm or fear or whatever you know those those similar feelings of being a bit like oh when um you went to mount buffalo for the first time um because you've done quite a bit there yeah 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 so buffalo i guess is like the place where we're the first place really outside of the blue mountains where i'd done some multi-pitch climbing and um and it was almost pretty much because of a a a a plea i'll say plea there's an article that um simon uh, sorry steve monks wrote in rock magazine basically saying hey i've um you know no one's no one's tried ozzy mendeus direct um no one's no one's repeated ozzy mendeus original and by the way i've also actually um freed the individual pictures on lord gumtree which like all of these three are classic aid routes um with their own really rich history as well and um it's just like oh that's an obvious thing to do like you know, I think by that stage I would have climbed thirty-three. I think already. It's like, mm. oh wow, okay. There's this like, there's this challenge that's on a platter right there, ready to be done. It's like two Ozymandias directs two pitches of grade twenty-eight, about just two hundred and fifty meters high, and a few other sort of fill-in pitches. And it's like, oh, I want to go try and do that. Like, you know, go from the ground, do the whole thing. Maybe on site it, maybe not, but just try and get it done in really good style, like, you know, do it in one push, basically. Because mm. up until that point, um, Steve had only done it um, in sections, which I guess by today's standards probably doesn't quite count as an ascent. Um, kind of similar to doing the moves on a route, but not red pointing it. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, so I guess the difference with going there to answer your question um, was that I kind of knew what I was in for. And I'm the sort of person who really likes to prepare and kind of think about all the possible scenarios, like being too shit yep. <laughs> for it and, um, and making sure that I'm not. Eliminate that possibility. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And in, in every possible way. Yep. And so, um, so, yeah, definitely first time I got to the gorge and looked over at what I was coming here to climb, I was like, oh, that looks <laughs> really dark and imposing and sheer and... It's on a rock type that I have barely done anything but boulder on. Um, yeah, okay, this is going to be intimidating. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the next day we wrapped in in the dark and had a shot on it anyway. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. How did that go? Uh, in, like, in, re- in retrospect, it's really awesome. <laughs> like, because, you know, I had approached it in a way that fit my ideals, which is that I want to try to do this in the best possible style I can, which is to walk to the bottom and do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I certainly don't, I, I want to be getting to that last pitch that looks amazing or like on Samarkand, looking up at that cracked headwall. I want to get there and climb that from the ground with all of that challenge kind of behind me and doing that. So it's like, I don't want to kind of get up to something that's been pre-rehearsed and, you know, have it, everything be a known quantity. Mm. You know, that for me, it kind of almost reduces it down to a, physical challenge that you could set up in a climbing gym in a way. Yeah. Um, I don't want to do that. But yeah, so that day was brilliant. Like, so good. Like, you know, full-on adventure. Like, I did the first pitch on site. That's all right. It's only 23. And the second pitch is like the main, one of the main cruxes. It's a 55-meter sustained technical corner with heaps of small wires. Um, fell off on the crux on the on-site. And then, which is about 20 meters up. And then, you know, still a huge amount of distance to go. And I spent probably an hour, like, just going, oh, my God, this is another hard move, another hard move, another really insecure move. It's like, and, you know, spent what would have been probably two hours by the end of it, getting to the top of that pitch and kind of understanding it and just thinking, I could come off, like, 50 moves on this thing. Mm. Um, So I was quite shocked by the style um, and that sort of thing. Um, went back to the belay, had quite a good rest, um, and then like had a second shot and actually sent that pitch. And it was just like, it was a, an amazing experience because it's like, oh, far out. Like I just put all that together, like, and yeah, it was super cool. And because, you know, in Australia, we don't do much other than, you know, steep sport climbing. that's quite familiar at crags. We know well Mm. to kind of have that process, you know, first time up on a big, Granite multi-pitch was awesome. Yeah. Um, the rest of the day kind of uh, either sort of flashed or unsighted the next few pitches, which brought me to the base of the second hard pitch, uh, probably at like 5 or 6 p.m. <laughs> like late. <laughs> it's a big day Yeah, and going I, in in the dark. And- totally. Was, um, I was pretty smashed and skin was pretty destroyed and toes were really, really screaming. And I couldn't, couldn't even come close to doing the move on the crux of that pitch. So I was like, Oh, like, you know, I just got really, I was like, oh, this is, you know, punished. Uh, And it felt like a failure. It's like, in retrospect, it wasn't a failure. That was like a fucking brilliant day of climbing. (laughs) It's actually pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, And completely unprecedented. uh, Yeah, I guess. In a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I guess from an outside point of view, but like internally, it's like, that's, that's what I, that's the way I love approaching things. Mm. And um and I, by that stage, it was quite a like it was a fair way into my climbing. I'd done lots of multi pitches in places like Bungonia and mountains and things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we kind of just bailed to the top of the cliff by any means, um, and we went up the Aussie original line. Didn't free that, um, and then, and then yeah, basically went back a few days later, and this time went from the top down worked that pitch or made sure that i could do that move Mm, yeah (laughs) Um, and then a couple of days later went back from the bottom and did the route as a whole yeah cool yeah what was your preparation as you lead into that trip it's as you were saying it's a rock type you don't know you're on small gear like a a few things that feel a bit maybe out of your comfort zone or Mm. just different to what you're used to yeah what were you doing to try and prepare for that for that trip, I guess, in a lot of senses, I still 
relatively inexperienced and my insight into what I needed to be good at was mm. limited. Um, and so for that trip, I did a bunch of chag climbing around the mountains, which is kind of almost seems like um, an oxymoron. There's just, <laughs> there isn't a lot of good chag climbing at a higher grade in the Blue Mountains. Um, so I, di- I did what I could. Uh, I think I might have done a few little like head pointy routes mm. um, around. Um, generally tried to kind of get the volume up, but I had no idea what the like technical demands of the climbing would be like. Yeah. Um, and even if I did, I think it would be hard to replicate at yeah. home. Yeah. 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 You just kind of need to show up and yep. hope for the best. Totally. And I think that's a super important thing anyway, is just to kind of throw your hat in the ring and just go all in and try something sometimes. Like yeah. you can try to prepare all your life for something and like try to like fine tune things, but you do learn a huge amount from having a go at something, even if it kind of sacrifices your performance on that particular climb, it's like it only really matters if you're solely invested in the outcome or the ascent in yeah. that way. If yeah. if you're process-based and you want to kind of go and try cool shit, then go and try cool shit. Yeah. You'll learn and you'll probably learn faster than the person at home fingerboarding so they can climb a granite slab better. Getting ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was Buffalo then preparation for yosemite uh not deliberately no um uh, or did yosemite kind of become more of a like oh maybe i'll go do that yeah like uh, as a like as a young climber like you know i would always look at pictures of people like yuji harayama on um on the salafay which is like a you know huge like massive thing and <laughs> and i only really realized how amazing it was have, after having been there yeah um, even Adam Andra trying to re- trying to do what Yuji tried to do years ago and yep. still failing like just last month. Um, and people like Alex Huber doing that sort of thing and some like hard multi-witches and dolomites and stuff. Um, it's always been there in the back of my mind, but I guess, you know, as a as an individual, like I've never really been someone who's like, oh, cool, that's what the best guy in the world's doing. I'm going to go and give that a go. Like mm. I wouldn't say I've never backed myself in that way whatsoever. Um, you know, I would never have kind of seen myself alongside those people. And, you know, without the sort of stepping stones, I wouldn't really have seen it as a possibility. Yeah. You know, even though now it's like, it's a pretty normal thing for someone to go and free L cap. Yeah. Um, back then it's like, okay, well the superstars are doing it. I'm not going to, it just, it just wasn't on my radar in yeah. a way. Yeah. Um, obviously it was a stepping stone, but it wasn't something that was planned. Yeah. Um, it wasn't till after I had another trip to Buffalo to try and do Lord Gumtree. Yep. Um, which I, Ben and I tried to free that ground up and, you know, there's sections that I could have sworn were just glass. Like, you know, I just <laughs> couldn't touch it. Could like, there's nothing else wrong. Conditions are good. Had, you know, good shoes. I was fresh and I couldn't step off this ledge on into a sequence, like a sequence of a few foot moves yeah, wow. and bad hand moves. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't until after that trip that I met Laurie Dermody from Adelaide who was who had already been to Yosemite and was quite, was quite keen to go back for another trip and specifically to try and do a free route on El Cap. And I was yeah. like... I want to. I want to be there. I'll do that for sure. Yeah. Like, um, I'm in definitely, because um, it's already like, yeah, okay. Well, Aussie Mendes is 28. Um, you know, free riders 27. Sure, you do free rider a few days. I reckon give that a go. Yeah. And so at that point, I was kind of like, okay, I reckon maybe. Yeah. yeah. And you took that ground up approach that you've taken through Samarkand and um, Buffalo you've taken that to the valley of that style of going ground up because there's quite a few ascents that you did in that style in the valley that were pretty unprecedented at that time. Yeah. Like before Laurie and I left Australia, like we were quite intent on doing things ground up. Like in some ways you kind of think, oh, well, uh, what's, why would it be 
beneficial to go and do something else. I just we're going rock climbing. Let's just go to the bottom and try and do it. Yeah. And so we wanted to do that. We did. De- we definitely didn't want to be going up and wrapping back down and then kind of jugging back up to a higher point. We wanted mm-hmm. to leave the ground and get to the top. I guess in a similar way to kind of doing the moves on a sport route, but not red pointing it. Going partway up, wrapping back down, jugging fixed ropes and continuing up is very much similar to that. Yeah. So, yeah, we were intent on doing things from the ground up. Um, these days, though, it's not really the case. Like Andrew and I were there like just over a year ago and the number of climbers on El Cap that were wrapping in and stashing gear and like and working things and stuff is just like crazy and mm-hmm. there it's crazy how many people are on some of those routes it's <laughs> yep. really annoying <laughs> yeah what was your um process on freerider having felt pretty good on um aussie so relatively the, when we first got to yosemite we just were keen to get straight into the big wall free climbing so we got on freerider and managed to kind of send it over five days yep. like wasn't crazy epic like it was a it's hard and uncomfortable but like I, I especially was very, very prepared for that. I knew that it's like these routes, they don't happen unless you go through this kind of like uncomfortable process. Yeah. And so got to the top. I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome. Like just freed El Cap, like did what we came here to do. Like, all right, maybe we, let's look at doing something else. Yep. Um, which is when we, you know, looked at El Nino and we're like, and this is this is kind of a big jump, like um, free rider over five days. And El Nino, El Nino has two pitches of grade thirty, three pitches of twenty nine, three of twenty eight, couple of twenty seven, and a bunch of stuff from eighteen to twenty six. Properly stacked. It's really stacked, yeah. And so we're like, oh, well, let's give this a go. And you know, I pretty much like I obsess over things before I, you know, obsess over things full stop. <laughs> and so like. Like I knew the pitches that Yuji had onsided and the pitches that he'd fallen off. Yuji took two falls on that route, mm-hmm. I think, something like that. And um, and then onsided the rest. It was like his last attempt at trying to onsite El Cap. And, um, and so, oh, yeah. Like I always try and onsite those things because you... If you get something done onsite, it means you don't have to go back down and burn energy. Yeah. That's a massive, massive benefit. And, um, yeah, so... Amazing that route. <laughs> I don't really know, like, don't really know kind of what happened on that. But like, I was in a zone with my climbing that, like, I feel like I probably have never been in ever again and had never been in before. And I was, um, you know, I, you know, on side of the first twenty nine, and it was like blank really like no chalk there's like wildly bad footholds like footholds that aren't even footholds and then you so you're dancing around on this stuff and it's like oh my god wow that was cool well that saves me doing that pitch again all right <laughs> so what's next um and obviously laurie and i are both trying to free climb so we're kind of swinging leads but freeing on second as well so it's like and most of the time seconding on freeing second is really really a pain in the ass anyway mm. um Laurie had the next lead and he, you know, it was only a short pitch. So he kind of, he actually fell off, had a few shots, bang, 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 and then kind of sent it. Went, All right, cool. This looks like a hard pitch. This is the first pitch that Yuji came off. Um, and then like, oh, oh gosh, I'd done it. Like, I, you know, <laughs> managed to flash that pitch. Um, the next pitch is a 30. I fell off that one. Like, you know, a a short distance from the easy climbing yeah quick red, red point um and then the next few days kind of flew by uh, on side at 28 which <laughs> i didn't have the beta on like you're supposed to go up and clip this high bolt climb back down a ramp and then traverse across with this bolt above you clipped so that you're essentially on top rope i didn't have that beta so it's like trying to find these like rp placements and then end up like managing to get the onsite on this grade 28 pitch on horrific gear <laughs> halfway up El Cap. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of fun. Was that the one that the Hoover brothers found out oh, about it? And no, they, they, were... they were in the valley watching because yeah. it was a rainy day actually. And so we had to quite a late start. Laurie hadn't actually red pointed the 
third pitch, like the, one of the great thirties. Like he, yeah, gave it so much, like hours and hours and hours of work, and um, you know, couldn't manage to do it. So he kind of just pressed on anyway. And so in, that day he was kind of in belay mode. Um, it'd been raining, so we gone up about midday. A whole bunch of people had gone gone down to the meadow to watch what was happening on El Cap, and I think the only thing happening that day was Laurie and I yep. trying these few hard pitches. And so, um, yeah, so the pitch after the twenty eight, I um, like it's a notoriously hard pitch. The crux of the route, the other pitch that Yuji came off, um, again like really really insecure tiny holds and super difficult to read and um climbing 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 like climbing in and out of sequences just like so tuned into how things are feeling and I, I still to this day like i don't know if i've ever felt that level of awareness when climbing um just this kind of subtlety like i've kind of handling the tips of my shoes like you know fiddling with a hair in your fingers or something like that mm. it's just crazy um and kind of got to the la- to the jug at the end of that pitch and clipped the anchor and just as like you know let out this massive scream and you know a second later it's just this like almighty roar coming up from the meadows <laughs> it's like oh oh we're not alone here you yeah. know this foggy morning kind of coming in and out of the fog and there's people down there like watching us with binoculars. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was the one that the Hubers were kind of, Oh, yeah. The Hubers were like, what the fuck is the guy doing? Like leading that pitch. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then that route took another few days. Um, yeah. Some freaking awesome climbing. Like this amazing big dark corner, like miles off the ground and a lot of the time felt very much on our own because there's this, this fog hanging around all we can see is about the 30 meters between us and um yeah a few more sort of hard pitches but yeah awesome done yeah yeah yep. this style that you've had through all of these ascents it's quite important to you that very calculated or calculated is perhaps the wrong word but very very deliberate style to to leave yourself open to just the unknown of, of what's going to be happening up there and, and you do your best to prepare can you tell us a bit about how that style kind of um why it's important to you i guess like in climbing the way that you approach things is your opportunity to be artistic yeah. and it's your opportunity to um express yourself and live out your ideals. Mm. Um, if you just focus on the outcome and if if the if all you think about the outcomes as being is like send or don't send, like, you know, flash it or don't flash it or whatever, or how many shots do I do it in, you can you gear yourself toward trying to make it as much of a known thing as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, that's not that's not the reason that I do those sort of routes. Like that's why I sport climb. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why I boulder and why I train as like an athlete. It's like those are the things I want to kind of craft myself and get myself up a, a route and yeah. get from A to B on the hardest thing possible. But with these sort of climbs, it's more about doing it and having an experience that is one where you're putting everything together at one time. And to climb a series of pre-rehearsed pitches is very much like an athletic thing. But to start from the bottom and to go to the top, not knowing anything about it or very, very little about it, requires you to put all of your skills as a climber together. Uh, usually there's a lot more discomfort with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You know, you you fall off things, you have to repeat, you have to, you know, red point a pitch, you have to figure things out, often clean things up. You know, you might have to do a really scary section of climbing because you're getting off route or something like that. And it's like all of this stuff requires so much more from you. And I guess, yeah, I guess I love that test. I really, really, really like those times where you are climbing and you're just bringing all these skills together and just doing it as the best it, it very much is like the ultimate test of where you're at it's yeah, like this definitely. is 
yeah, you're going to get tested, especially if you're kind of pushing something that's in that, um, you know, scary scale of a little bit of danger or, or whatever, or just situations out of your comfort zone. The, the level of difficulty yeah. physically is there. Yeah. You're testing 100% of where you're at at yeah. the moment as a climber. And totally, that's, um, yeah. And can you keep your shit together and make it all happen? Like, mm. so it's not just, are you strong enough? Are you fit enough? Can you read the route? Can you place good gear in this situation? Um, can you manage the risk there? Like, can you do it all together and, yeah, get it done? Yeah. And it, for me, like, often some of my best or best memories aren't from the necessarily successful ascents, but from the ones where I had that period of flow. Even up until a point where I fall off, it's like, yeah, but it was cool. <laughs> and trying that was rad. Yeah. Like, and that's that's fine by me. Yeah. Do you think that it was those little bits of being tested and, and being so in, needing to be so in tune with everything that gave you those five days on El Nino in that headspace? Like you just somehow tapped into everything that was going on? I think there's a few things that led into it. Um like new situations definitely help um, without a doubt. If you're uh, going to the same cliff and going with the same people and all of these things, you can't really step out of sight of yourself and what you expect of yourself and, you know, the identity that has been, you know, crafted around your life as a climber and who you feel like you are. It's hard to step out of that. But when you go somewhere new with someone new, doing something new it's easy to be open-minded and and really shake off a lot of the stuff that keeps you being you and even if like okay being you is all right you know you've climbed 34 you've done a bunch of like hard trad routes it's like there's still things that um that just kind of weigh you down. And so, mm. yeah, I guess for me on that route, the other massive thing was that two or three months before that trip, I lacerated a forearm tendon. Yeah. And so like, I, I wasn't able to grip like a coffee cup for until about six weeks before that trip. Like, so I couldn't train in a normal context at all. Yeah. Um, I think the maximum level I got up to before going away was repeating a pumpy 30 that didn't have any small holds on it so i was going into that trip with this situation of like i could reinvent myself in a sense um on a really kind of weird level yeah <laughs> um and also too i had like this kind of quite reduced expectations um and a really weak right arm <laughs> <laughs> like i couldn't touch midnight lightning for example <laughs> um but yeah okay long story short um the newness of the situation and the ability to be able to kind of yeah, be free of my own expectations, I guess, allowed mm. me to reach, hit a different headspace. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's, um, it's always that little place that you try and find and only get glimmers of every now and then mm. in your climbing. And yeah, yeah, it's that one that you always kind of strive to find mm. <laughs> as a climber. It's that Zen Nirvana state. Yeah, totally. And And I think that's like, you know, that and a few other experiences like like that have kind of molded what it is that I want to get out of climbing those sort of routes. Like yeah. day in, day out, I want to train and push my body and have routine. But when I go out to do something like that, I want it to be this kind of, you know, hedonistic kind of like <laughs> whole psyche experience. Yeah, 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 yeah totally encompassing. Yeah. In your article that you wrote for Rock about yours and Jake's trip to Patagonia, it opens by saying that you think you should set your goals based on your wildest dreams. Mm. And so, your ascent in Patagonia of Riders on the Storm, that's kind of a just a combination of all the experiences you've had before and dreams and you know, seeing Wolfgang, like you said, on this route or, you know, hearing the stories about it is kind of a dream basically to kind of put it all together and, and take the style mm. and the skills and everything that you've had to this climb. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like the vision with the trip to Patagonia was to put together everything up into that point. And I guess even like and take it to a new environment. Mm. Um, Wolfgang and Kurt and um, Norbert Sanders and um, I can't remember the other guy who were on that trip. Their vision was to go to Patagonia and do a free route. Yeah. Um, the longest, biggest free route in the world. And so they kind of went to try and establish Riders on the Storm as a free route, which is pretty unprecedented. And so I guess almost like, all right, my wildest dream is to go there by really, really fair means, like, you know, minimal kind of equipment, try to do a really awesome ascent. So, yeah, free the sections that hadn't yet been freed and, you know, do it. And, um, yeah, so in, I guess in terms of the approach and like the, yeah, the way that I wanted to go about the trip, the trips are kind of massive success in that way. It's yeah. like, all right, go outside of yourself, plan for something completely unknown, um, put together all of these skills and fucking execute. Yeah. And like, I think, yeah, sure. Like the weather over there is like completely <laughs> not conducive to sport, like sport, well, or free climbing. Free climbing yeah. yeah. Um, but like as amazing and like it, you, I don't measure that sort of trip based on how comfortable it was yeah. or like, you know, the success on paper afterwards. But you it know, is, it's not Tonsai. No, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, this is awesome. Like, you know, there were, there was one day in particular, I think Jake might've just talked about it on his podcast that he did yep. with you where we had woken up in the portal edge after nearly a week of not leaving the portal edge to do anything other than a crap in a blizzard. Like it was completely utterly gnarly. Like we had the thing anchored down from beneath as you kind of do when there's lots of wind. And even then the portal edge is still being lifted about probably like 40 centimeters and then slammed back and down. And like, you know, we had days of constant, constant snow. Like, so yeah, it's fully, fully gnarly. Like, and so this is, we woke up on this day after the kind of storm had passed on our 15th day on the wall we had rations for 14 days and this is your ground up push yeah yeah we on- hadn't hadn't yet we we had gone probably we only had one short static with us it was like less than 100 meters so the static was strung up above us like we'd had a look at that the day prior to the storm coming in we we're bivied 900 meters above the glacier and you know day 15 with a planned 14 days it's like well fucking let's see if we can finish this off in some means at all like you know they've got maybe 300 meters or yeah meters something like to the that top. yeah um, from the top of the fixed rope and like there's no way you can free climb like a, the the granite is encased in in ice yeah like it's completely <laughs> like it's you know so it's like oh you know i i, oh, I felt disappointed it's like ah oh, oh it's not what i wanted it to be but it's like you know, it, we were kind of doing what we wanted. It was yeah. awesome. And, um, yeah, so we woke up that morning and just, uh, yeah, kind of made it happen. Like, I was climbing a pitch with um, with Etrias on the end of my ice tools because there's iced up kind of fused seam, which is kind of, you know, maybe if there was, you could probably put RPs in it or something like that, uh, but certainly nothing to put crampons on not rock to actually paste your climbing shoe on. So it's like, all right, well, I'm in boots and etchers and ice tools, like these gigantic sky hooks with handles. It's like, <laughs> and off the ground with, you know, very, very little ability to place any gear. The pitch had a couple of bolts, but they were sheared by rockfall. And so it's like this kind of mangled stub of metal sticking out of the rock. Oh. and couldn't even sling it. And, um, and yeah, so it kind of had a couple of pictures of that sort of craziness. Um, and then, you know, a bit of a sort of almost like ridgy scramble to the top. And yeah, so topped out. Different outcome. But like, if we knew the outcome, it wouldn't be an adventure and it wouldn't have fulfilled the reasons we were going there yeah. in a way. So, um, yeah, pretty awesome. <laughs> a- another uncomfortable but totally satisfying yep. experience. Yeah, yeah. It's like, in a lot of ways, like, you know, sure, I didn't get the send, but like, awesome. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That pitch, well, you know, that that those pitches after um, that storm, did it feel risky? Like, did you feel like there was an element of risk there that was maybe a bit too much or, or anything like that? Because perhaps 
no real experience ice climbing and 900 meters above the ground there's no phones or you know the ability to call in rescue or anything like that like how how's the exposure there being yeah like um exposure in the sense of exposure to like danger yeah yeah, yeah um how, how do you see danger and risk in these kind of routes I or do you see it it's hard to sum up like the risk in these types of routes or on that pitch in patagonia is something that like in retrospect i look back on and i'm like oh that's scary but like i know at the time that like i really really like engaged in that process and like yeah it's i don't know i feel like i can't actually describe it without Mm. it sounding like bullshit yeah um you know and and i'm sure it's the sort of thing that like lots of people who have had accidents might say yeah um but you know, I've always, I guess I guess I can only really say like what my philosophy is around um, risk in climbing and you know how I manage or mitigate like the danger, and that is that I I definitely get scared, mm. um, but I feel like I try to use that fear as a sense that helps to keep me safe and you know allows me to weigh up what what I should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, if there's been lots of times where I've down climbed or I've changed the way that I do something, the sequence gone and placed more gear or something like that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like a blase climber or someone that just kind of, yeah, just go, poof, yeah, you know, do it. Like, you know, I'm always trying to think, and I'm actually also a very quite paranoid climber as well. Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> people, people wouldn't think so. Like, I'm sure, like, um, probably, yeah, really wouldn't think so, but. Like I am constantly sort of seeing the kind of, oh, what if, or that spike doesn't look good to fall on, or like that cam is rubbish. Like, you know, mm. really very much like measuring my situation. Um, And so I feel like, you know, I, I take that approach quite deliberately and that's in that way I feel like fairly um, congruent with the risks in the situations that yep. I've been in. Um, Yeah. Yeah, kind of um, assessing what could happen, what's likely to happen, yeah. what have you done to prepare for yeah. it and what's in place currently and definitely, and, and working within those boundaries. Yeah, and I think what people probably see from the outside or yeah, imagine when they hear of something that someone does that's really out there is that they um, they they can't experience that fear that that person's experiencing themselves Mm. um and whereas i feel like i I make a decision once i've kind of gone all right well i'm going to do this and i'm okay with falling off that or i'm you know i'm going to not fall off that because i won't put myself in a position where i fall off Mm. like which you can kind of do the same way that you don't trip over walking across the road in front of a truck you'd go i'm going to run across the road now and i'm not going to trip over yeah um but yeah, if I if I've decided that I'm going to go through with something, I'm not fearless. I might be completely and utterly trembling. Yeah. But I'm okay with that decision. Yeah. And and I'm okay with the outcome. The outcome being that I'm not going to die because yep. I would never do something that I feel like I'm going to hurt myself with. Yeah. It's just I've been scared a lot of the time, lots of times. Um. <laughs> But I don't feel like I was at risk of dying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Guess. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> or hurting Not, myself badly. Yeah. 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 Um, do you think your perception of risk has changed at all or, or may change now that you're a father? Got little uh, Max? Yeah, probably not so much. Um, yeah, because like I said, I am a really Just, paranoid climber and I feel like I um, am... Yeah, really exceedingly careful. Yeah. I probably, you know, the things that are kind of uncontrollable dangers, I probably would steer clear of, but I was never big on those anyway. So, yep. like, going into environments that are particularly high risk, like, you know, certain mountain situations, it's mm. it has never really been me. Like, yeah. At the heart of, like, a sport climber. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bit better yeah. weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I would 
do that sort of thing again. Yeah. Yep. Probably yeah, not. D- probably but, not in a portal edge though. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, t- I'd choose an easier climb and and just try and do something in a day. Yeah. Yeah. What would those routes kind of be? Um. No, I don't really think there's a specific routes that I kind of have on a hit list. Yeah. Um. In that way, again, it's like it's about going and having those experiences. Like, so when something comes up, I'm like, oh, that would be awesome to do like that. Mm. Um, like the Eubank route on the totem pole yeah. sort of in the last couple of years, it's like, oh, I'd love to do that, you know, from the ground up. I understand that it's a, um, that it's a complex kind of, that it's a complex route that'd be really challenging to do either on site or from the ground. And so yeah. I had the go of that. And, and um, that's a, a, what, 50 meter high sea roughly, stack yeah. In, yeah, yeah. in the ocean in um, Tassie. In Tassie, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I think I think most climbers would know of the totem pole, and the Eubank route is just the original route on it that um, has only been freed a few times. Mm. Um, yeah, and so that sort of thing's cool. Climbing that stick in a push. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, nothing nothing too specific. Like I'd definitely go back to Yosemite, hopefully more than one time. <laughs> like yep. lots of times, I think. Um, I'd like to do some multi pitches in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, Again, not too worried about the specific route. Um, yeah, like the Radicon and stuff. Yeah, looks bloody good. Totally. Yeah, like the, the, some of those routes that you see videos and and photos of. It's just like there's moo cows down in yeah. green grass and just like yeah. bollocks good limestone totally. for three hundred meters or, or whatever yeah. it is more. And yeah. I think as a sport climber, those things are really appealing because you're like, yeah, oh, I get to do stacked like pictures of cool sport climbing yeah you know as opposed to like oh gosh i'm a shit crack climber yeah like something like that yeah <laughs> yeah not that i don't know i'm probably not shit but i'm not awesome <laughs> yeah 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 always um always room to learn yeah for this style of climbing for anyone that's listening in do you think the this approach that you've had of kind of like building up is a pretty good one to follow uh yeah, I guess. I guess in a sense, like, it's a build-up. But, like, I don't know. In a lot of ways, I, I really like to throw myself in the deep end. Yeah. And I think everything that I've done that we've talked about, like, whether it be, um, you know, Samarkand or, you know, uh, Ozymandias at Buffalo, first trip to Yosemite, the trip to Patagonia, they they were all very much feeling like I was throwing myself in the deep end. It's mm. like, yeah, sure, someone goes to Yosemite, but, you know, like... I was going to try to, you know, <laughs> go do something that was like completely outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. I think for, it depends what your goals are in climbing, but like if you want to progress, then I think that approach is really, really beneficial, regardless of what your own personal ethics or style um, of doing things might be. Throwing yourself at something that is a bit audacious and, that's going to take kind of the absolute best case scenario to make happen is awesome. Cause that's where you get to surprise yourself. If you mm. sort of set your goals at something kind of moderate and easy to achieve, you, you're hardly going to kind of, you know, that one in a hundred times when you succeed at the kind of out there goal, it's not going to redefine the way you look at yourself. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important, like regardless of whether it's, you know, long routes or sport routes or, um, even just life goals like yeah you know, put it out there plan for best case scenario yeah that's what i tell andrea yeah um, why haven't we got head torches i was planning for best case scenario yeah. that this would be done in a few hours yeah but you know like and the adversity that comes from that will teach you a lot as yeah. long as you stay as long as you stay safe like and i think that's probably a really big thing to touch on you know people do have accidents and call rescues and they don't know how to rescue themselves or look Mm. after themselves or see the risks involved and that is probably something that you know anyone kind of aspiring to kind of dabble in this stuff needs to start to think about more seriously yeah because there's too many accidents happening on the easy routes in the blue mountains because they're set up in such a way that they are conducive to people who are inexperienced it's like well it should make it Maybe it should make it less dangerous, but it doesn't because it gets people who wouldn't otherwise be there on those routes. And it, I think people need to take that seriously. Yeah, you can definitely get yourself further into a stickier situation yep. than um, 
before you realize what's going wrong. Yeah. It's um yeah, it's the big one of really not knowing what you don't know. Mm. And you can Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you you're a long way above the ground and you can really find yourself in yeah. a yeah. pretty silly spot that and and needing rescuing when you really with an understanding of how to use a prosic or or whatever yeah, exactly. you can get yourself out of it. Yeah, and and ideally like you know avoiding the risk in the first place, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a you know quick disclaimer on yeah. kind of putting yourself out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um do it safely. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I would stress for people who are wanting to prepare as best they can for these things is to kind of acknowledge what these long routes entail beyond the physical task. Hmm. It's very easy for people to kind of go, okay, it's this many pitches. I want to climb this many pitches in a day of this grade. Um, but what they're overlooking is how you know that physical task can be really really different under different circumstances Mm. you know if you take for example someone who prepares by doing a huge amount of volume at their home crag on routes they know on high grades versus someone who says all right i'm going to do this sort of same level of high volume on routes i don't know on a rock type that i don't know and give myself the challenge of having to do a certain number of these pitches every day and get them done regardless. Like the headspace that that second person is in while they're training is going to transfer to the long routes a hundred times better. Yeah. Yeah. So mental preparedness is like so much more important than the physical stuff. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Because generally you're probably going to be picking something that is somewhat within those physical capabilities and yeah absolutely. and being over strong is yeah. not going to get you through a, no um, way. a head situation yeah yeah a- an example of that sort of preparation that i did before going to yosemite for the first time was um, like i was struggling to find ways to make the chad climbing or multi-pitch climbing the mountains new and novel and challenging um so one of the things i did was do this route echo crack at um Katoomba, which is like a classic grade 25 corner crack. Um, it's maybe, maybe it's only five pitches or something like that. But I thought, oh, let's do it at night. Um, let's do it with wooden chocks and no cams. <laughs> and oh, we'll do it without without climbing shoes. So I'll do it bare feet. And so that was like a, a completely like full-on adventure <laughs> and like a journey to the inner workings of my mind. <laughs> it was like amazing awesome <laughs> yeah yep. whether you landed on the end of the rope or not that's a successful it is night yeah, out. yeah 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 <laughs> absolutely yeah um i didn't fall off which was actually really really kind of good because it's yeah the chocks that i made they didn't fit very well and stuff like that <laughs> but it was cool yeah. was that um eubank that did the first ascent of that uh i, I don't actually know who did the first aid ascent of echo crack the first free ascent is a little bit contentious, but um, but I think it's mostly regarded to be Steve um, Monks. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah it's um, yeah. it's a classic. Amanda yeah. and I had an epic by um, thinking that the other person had brought the water oh, awesome. in summer. Yeah, and awesome. It was um, yeah, <laughs> far out. It was a bit, a bit yeah. of a cramp fest at the top. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, and, um, that's good. Yeah, that was a definitely a feeling of being uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to have um, a- another experience for those new people, are, are there any routes kind of sticking out that are are there to be done? Yeah, I think the opportunities for good like multi pitching in Australia is like really really untapped. Like, there's classics out there that just aren't getting done and then we've got so many climbers that are capable of doing a lot of these routes so like the things that really really stand out in my mind would be um obviously Aussie Mandaeus mm. um a couple of routes next to it um free rain which I put up a few years ago and another one forgotten playground so free rains are 28 four pitches are 28 amazingly good really good varied granite climbing forgotten playground about four pitches of 27 um, and a few other kind of easier pitches, definitely like a, a good entry level, like, you know, mixed 
bolts and trad really good again and then obviously blue mountains we've talked about echo crack samarkand they're fantastic uh there's a few other ones that kind of fully bolted things like stiletto at perry's look down stand out it's a classic yeah um your thing parched i've not been oh, not parched um scurvy scurvy yeah yep. that sort of thing um tassie deeper waters in tassie at the tyndall's is outstanding like it's a 300 meter conglomerate cliff with um i think it 26 25 like a you know a few things around 24 25 yeah that's a an absolutely brilliant day out it's kind of out there as well isn't it it's kind of in that tassie wilderness yeah absolutely you kind of you know you walk in one day you get up early the next day and do your route yeah use most of the day or like us we get benighted because our head torch (laughs) batteries run out etc etc but anyway got it done um, but yeah, so the big things like, you know, it'd be great to see more people on the long routes of Buffalo, the long, harder things, the Blue Mountains uh, and the other bits and pieces around the place. Like it's untapped and I think people would love it. Yeah. It, there's certainly the days that I I have them too infrequently. Yeah. And then when you do it, have it, it's like, gosh, I need to do this more. Yeah. Those days this stand out. This is so fun. Yeah, yeah. They totally stand out. Yeah. I can, maybe it's because I've done so few but I can vividly remember yeah. those yeah. days where I've done that kind of climbing and yeah. you always want to go back and do more. Yeah. But that comfort zone of sport climbing always sits Definitely. there. And I think too, it's it's a what you do is somewhat a reflection of the people around you and what they're doing. And if no one else around you is doing it, then you don't really think to do, a, do it. Even mm. though it's really fun, it's a fantastic challenge, it can really progress your climbing um, you know, like I've said, it sort of help can help redefine the way that you look at yourself as not just a climber, but even an individual. Like, mm. yeah, putting yourself out there and doing different things is, you know, awesome. Yeah, awesome. And and with all of this, sport climbing has always been there for you. Is that kind of how you see yeah. yourself as a climber? I guess it's hard. I don't know. It's I don't. I just I don't really think of myself like, oh, what sort of climber am I, or who who am I as a climber? Um, I kind of know what I like to do, and yeah, I know what I've done. But um, you know, I guess, I guess at the heart of it, like I feel like a sport climber, in the sense that I, I like training. I want to push myself from a physical point of view, and I. And, and mentally, but I, the way in which I like to push myself mentally day to day is about like, you know, the routine and the discipline that goes with sport climbing. And it mm-hmm. obviously works with where we live in the Blue Mountains. It's good sport climbing. You can do most of the year round. I do feel like a sport climber primarily because that's what I do. Like I go clip bolts and push myself physically, train and, you know, try to become as good as I can at climbing a short section of hard climbing. Mm. Um but I don't feel like multi-pitches or climbing routes that require natural gear are really any different. I think in a lot of ways you can look at sport climbing as being an approach, taking a, like an athletic approach or taking a, a you know, a, a sort of challenging yourself kind of way of doing something but you can sport climb on long routes and you can sport climb on routes that require natural protection like and Mm. really like short trad routes that's the epitome of sport climbing people work things they know what gear they've taken there's not it's not adventure climbing Mm. Um, so yeah i guess it very much i'm a sport climber but i do that sport climbing at single pitch crags um you know, I've done a lot of it on multi-pitch routes and I've done some of it with cams on my harness yeah, <laughs> and some of it with ice tools in my hands and air chairs in my feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that's probably a good one to um, bring you back in for, for another episode is um, Lee Cossie, the strongest climber getting around. <laughs> <laughs> hardly, hardly, hardly the strongest, um, you know. <laughs> got in early in Australia which helps <laughs> yep. yeah but um, certainly had the talent and, and skill and everything to to back it up you and Ben just yeah going through and first ascents of some of the hardest routes in the country for yeah. 
15 years. <laughs> yeah, like it is... A, 20 years. Yeah, it was all built out of like an amazing kind of culture that we were lucky enough to be part of at the time. Um, and that kind of really, I guess, created this um, approach in our climbing that, sure, yeah, it led to being able to do some hard stuff. Mm. But, um, you know, you're kind of nothing without the community around you and we were very very lucky in that way yeah 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 cool awesome but yeah more another time yeah definitely that'd be awesome and um yeah get into a bit of training and and all that kind of stuff as well yeah well thanks so much for coming on lee um yeah it's really great to have you on and and chatting about just this one small aspect of your climbing life like I, i think you said that it's um if you boiled all of your climbing life down into one year this would be a day of it probably. this would be a day of it so we'll <laughs> totally. have to, have to yeah, get yeah. back to um 364 other days yeah yeah sure but um you know it's a good fun day <laughs> yeah for sure christmas day yeah <laughs> an awesome. uncomfortable one with, with bad food <laughs> awesome cool cool thanks thanks and we are done another episode in the can Lee's approach to this style of climbing is inspiring. It's no fuss and hit it with speed, psych and optimism. Ain't that a metaphor for life? It was pretty funny. After we finished recording, we were chatting and I asked him if he was more scared in Patagonia, being run out on sketchy protection a thousand metres above the deck on ice-covered rock after being slammed around in a portal ledge for a week or on Samarkand that first time. Can you guess the answer? For all those that locked in B, Samarkand, you'd be right. Lee said he had many more tools in his toolbox and experiences to draw on to make what sounds like a hectic position in Patagonia be actually not too bad. Although I still think it was pretty sketchy. And perhaps his main fear on Samarkan was getting busted from his mum and dad for skipping school. I love the support and kind words from everyone who's been psyched on the podcast. It's been fantastic. Join the Baffle Days family on Instagram to keep up to date. Hit subscribe on your podcast app. Because as it turns out, you get to listen to the episode as soon as I upload it, before it lands on the internet library a day or two later. Which means you get to be more up to date than your pals. Awesome. Anyway, thanks again and catch you next time. <laughs>